All right, so um, hopefully, by God's grace, we're going to be doing some messages around the theme of getting above the divide. And I want to talk about things that Christians divide over. We're in a very divisive time. We're in a very divided time. Anybody, um, because of something that ends in a number, have family troubles in unity? Anybody experience that? We're in a super divided time, especially in the church. And if you were with us months ago, I did a, a, a message right before I went on holidays called This Fragile Fellowship. And really what I wanted to share was how God was helping Jackie and I. Jackie is my wife and probably the best living person in the universe. So if you ever felt like you were in the runnings, don't worry, you lost. But um, definitely my favorite person alive. And yet we have a normal marriage and we are just two sinners. Um, learning how to follow Jesus together. And one of the things God was just teaching us is that we need to spend the rest of our life treating our relationship as though it's incredibly fragile. And without near constant care and attention, thoughtfulness and protection, um, affection and communication, even though I'm a pastor and she's the best person in the world, our marriage is likely toast. And so we've just been learning this. We, we have to keep taking care of our marriage, which means taking care of each other. It's not like our marriage is um, a cat that comes for food every morning and at 2 o'clock every day and then wanders off to go and feed itself by gnawing the heads off of shrews. It's us. And what I was doing in that last message was saying church is very similar. A fellowship of believers actually does require thoughtfulness, care, gentleness, attention, encouragement, and communication, or else our church is toast too. And that you can't take your church for granted. It will fall apart because we are just a bunch of sinners saved by grace and following the Lord Jesus. But if we kind of stop the following of the Lord Jesus part, we fall back into the, the other stuff. Amen? So today what I want to do is I want to start talking about some of those things that churches divide over, Christians divide over, because sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a PG preacher. You know, something that anybody could bring anybody to. And I think sometimes, you know, Scripture is a bit more of a NC-17 Bible, it's got wars, it's got killings, it's got everything bad. It's got Jesus telling you, if you don't cut your hand off, you're probably going to go to hell. It's, it's adult. And so why don't we be adults together? But this is the next thing that Jackie and I are, are learning in our marriage, as we're a couple of sinners learning to be Christians together is that our maturity in our relationship, we can directly measure by our ability to keep listening to each other when the other person's saying something we don't like. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Yeah, thanks, darling. We can measure how we're doing in our marriage by how I will continue to listen to Jackie when she might be saying something that I don't necessarily love. And we can measure our marriage together by how well she is able to continue to listen to me when I might be saying something she doesn't love. And by 
realizing this, we're learning that we can get above the divides of our marriage. The things that we regularly divide over, regularly fight over. You know, Jackie and I have had one or two issues where we've probably had 70 to 100 fights over the exact same thing. Any other married couples like that? Where it's always one of two issues? Okay, I feel very lonely here right now, folks. Yeah, there we go. Don't let me hang good. I got some real exuberance back there. But we're learning to get above the divide by the grace of God, by seeking the Lord to help us have more patience to listen well to each other. And it's really good. It's been so hard sometimes. Don't worry, kids. (laughs) But it's so good. And so my, my request for you this morning is that you... You would you take me receive me as a brother, wanting to talk about big things, and let's do our best to be mature by being great listeners. And if you need to think about stuff and we want to talk later, that's great too. Today I want to talk about the divide that's the battle of the sexes. The ongoing rivalry between men and women to jockey for position, for power, for prestige, for deciding who's going to end up on top. And my main goal, if I don't discover or if I don't accomplish anything else today, I just want to help Christians to realize that there is such a thing as the battle of the sexes and to ask you whether or not you want to be a terrorist in the battle of the sexes or if you want to be above it as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to engage as a soldier in the battle of the sexes, or do you want to rise above it and be seated in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if I've gotten you to think about that, I've already accomplished something. But I want to start by trying to create some room of distrust in our, in our current culture. I think the Western church is very enculturated. I think that we find it more easy to be Canadians than we do to be Christians sometimes. And I think God is on the warpath to help us become dislodged from our culture. And I think we owe it to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who have no succor or help from the dominant culture around them who if they name the name of Jesus, they're dead, to be willing to also reject everything that is not the Lord Jesus Christ as Canadians. Because we're his. And even though sometimes it feels like it can be very comfortable and easy to not be a Christian while calling yourself a Christian, I think those days are numbered for the good of the church. So I've picked a few situations here which are worldwide or important situations which I think Christians should look at and say, maybe the the current culture isn't super trustworthy as Christians. So, okay, my clicker's working. So the Olympics just happened. Um, You may not have caught at least watched, least supported Olympics in 30 years for various reasons. But this is the, the, these are the winners of the women's weightlifting competition. Okay? 
So these are literally the strongest women in the world. First place, second place, third place. In the Olympics, which is the biggest competition in the planet, it's like every country sends people to the Olympics to demonstrate the physical, the, the extremities of the physical abilities of the human body. And these are the, the winners of the women's weightlifting. Now, I know there's different categories, and I'm not sure if this was like the highest level of of strength, right? There's certain weight classes and stuff, and so I'm not sure which weight class this is. But they are at least among, and possibly one of those women is the physically strongest woman in the world. Clear so far? Now, one of the things that made the women's Olympic weightlifting very interesting this year was that there was a man competing with them. From New Zealand who identifies as transgender, and the Olympic Committee accepted this person to compete against these women. And one news reporter at this event, where these women were being interviewed after they were, had performed to become and be proven to be the strongest women in the world, a news reporter asked them what they thought about this competitor competing with them. And there was this tremendously long, awkward silence. And then one of the women said, no thank you. That was the response. No thank you. Because the issue is, is that they're not allowed to talk about this. Because they know if they say anything critical about this, they're fired and they won't be able to compete anymore. So behold the world, brothers and sisters. The promise of the world is that women are empowered to be as strong as they can be. But we know from history that the literal strongest women in the world were silenced before the world and not allowed to speak. Do you want to trust the world? It's it's insane. These are literally the strongest women in the world and they could not say what they thought, or else their careers would be destroyed. Is that right? Let's go into the comic book world. Again, I'm trying to pick things that are worldwide phenomenon. This is the Wonder Woman symbol. Um, Kind of just a comic book character, maybe something that only nerds would know about, except for two reasons. One is that Wonder Woman became a fairly successful movie recently, the Wonder Woman movie. I'm sure lots of people saw it. And it was so successful, and it was kind of lauded in our culture as like proving that women could be superheroes and a woman could headline a movie and it would be successful and kind of accomplishing something because they'd never seen aliens, right? Anybody? Sigourney Weaver with a flamethrower. I don't know how people forget this stuff, but whatever. But this was meant to be this big moment, and it was meant to be such a big moment that the United Nations actually declared a few years ago Wonder Woman to be the international ambassador of women's rights and empowerment. Okay, so that's why it becomes big. The United Nations, again, an organization that claims to represent the entire world, declared Wonder Woman to be the ambassador for women's empowerment for the planet. 
And it kind of blew up because most, most of the women of the world don't want to be represented by somebody who runs around in a very small uh, bathing suit, including most of the Muslim world, even the moderate ones. And so that kind of got rescinded. It became this hubbub. But here's the, the thing that really just kind of like blew my mind. I learned a few weeks ago. And forgive me, this is a bit adult, but there we go. Wonder Woman was invented by a guy whose idea of a really good time was to get tied down by his girlfriends and beaten up as a bedroom sport. This was his idea of a good time. The technical word is dominatrix, I think. I know all you young kids know everything. We all pretend you're like your little kids, but you guys know everything. He liked that kind of stuff, and so he wanted to promote this in the world. So when somebody's involved in something shameful, they have two options. They can either hide what they're doing, or they can respond in pride and try to promote what they're doing and win the world to their mindset. And so that's what this guy's choice was. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to invent a comic book character that would promote the idea of a strong, powerful woman who would beat up men, tie them down, and overpower their will with their whips or rope, while at the same time being scantily clad and attractive, and being the kind of woman that, having beaten up men, never has children. This was his fantasy life. And he created this character who somehow became the ambassador for women in the entire world. And you just kind of wonder... How does a sick man's fan, like bedroom fantasy become the celebrated image of womanhood for the world? Am I the only one that just thinks, uh, I wish somebody had told me? When you think about it, you can kind of figure it out. But does, does nobody just go like, this is who's being promoted as someone to aspire to for our daughters? Is some guy's kind of serious brokenness? It's number three out of four, the whole abortion issue. So just traveling along with me in my train of thought, so a few weeks, months ago, you might remember that some unmarked, unnamed graves were discovered near residential school in Kamloops. And just the, the outrage about it and the reminder of all the, just the crimes and sins involved in the residential school system against indigenous people. And that number, of, it was, it's 218, right? I'm sorry, I forget numbers, sorry? 215, 218, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'm, I'm not good with math. And just the, the outrage. Uh, some churches got burnt down over this. Some statues got torn down at the legislative building over this. And who knows what else? Just the rage about um, these, these little people whose lives were thrown away. And... Um, without trying to take away anything from that whole issue, and my prayer to God is that he would, by grace, 
help leaders of goodwill come together and find a way to improve things. Because even when there's when a situation comes to the forefront again, you and I both know so often things end up worse. So may the Lord give us leaders of goodwill to come together to make things better. However, that number of 218 was really bugging me. Because I know that in Canada, we throw away more lives than that every day. It's somewhere around 280 to 300. On average, abortions performed in Canada every day. That's the average. And so I think as though it's right to be scandalized and upset and filled with wrath about 218 children disappeared by the government over a number of years. Like, what do we do when it's more than that every day disappeared by the government and you're not allowed to talk about it? And it's an official blind spot. And it's more than that because we even know that very recently there was legislation attempted to restrict same-sex abortion in Canada, which is where someone would use an ultrasound to try to figure out the gender of a child, usually a, a girl, and if it's a girl, they'll specifically abort it, but if it was a boy, they would keep it. And that practice really does happen, and I know it does because when we were in Vancouver and we got Ellie's ultrasound, they wouldn't tell us the gender because it was the hospital's policy not to tell until the baby was past the abortion date because they knew in Vancouver it was happening. And that was 15 years ago. So it's a real deal. But the legislation didn't go through, and the prime minister was even just upset that anybody would try to do something like that because in his mind, and he said with his mouth, he equates the prosperity and power and positions of women with abortion. Abortion provides the success of women in Canada. And there is really no way to get around this. That is the theology of human sacrifice. That success and protection and power comes from the death of a person. That is human sacrifice. By the head of our government. And one of the questions I'm asking is, do you want that kind of worldview to tell you how to think? Uncomfortable yet? Yeah, me too. And I haven't even started talking about pornography yet. There's a company in Montreal that runs a variety of websites, and according to their own statistics, they have about 118 million visits every day to their pornographic websites which is three times the population of Canada. On average, each visit's around 10 minutes, which means every single day, 1.18 billion minutes of human life are spent devouring human souls' bodies. Which equates to something like 80 complete human lifetimes are clicked away every single day on images and videos of men and women. Every single day, 80 people's lives disappear into one company in Montreal. 
And it's, they only do it because it's huge business. And every once in a while, our culture would begin to talk about how this is not helpful for our young people and our husbands and our wives. It's about two-thirds men, one-third women. So it's not just a men's issue, 35%-ish women on these sites. The rest men. Just barely sometimes able to talk about the devastation this has on marriages, the devastation this has on people, on young people, on young girls who are exposed to this, on young boys to talk about. You can sometimes begin to get a conversation about this, but usually it's just like, a, let's not talk about this. Do you want a culture like that to teach you how to think about men and women? Because they're already doing it. You just don't know necessarily how they're impacting you. The battle of the sexes. <clears throat> Let's look at the big picture from the Bible. What it was meant to be. Have you read Genesis 1 and 2 recently? It is the best picture. Do I have the scripture? Ah, oh, yeah, here we go. No, no, that's the bad one. We've got to read Genesis 1 and 2 every once in a while because in a world that's so broken, you need to be reminded what God actually gave us before everything got so messed up. And this is where it all started. Sixth day of creation, seventh day rested. Chapter 1, verse 26 Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over their livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he goes on from there. Oh, dude. I have ordered a party sub all for myself. There's no way I can finish all this. And you'll remember how it goes on from there and it tells the story a little bit different with Adam in the garden and he's all by himself and, and God said it's not good for man to be alone and they look at all the other animals and there's no suitable helper and so we'll read in chapter, verse 18, forgive me, this is the chaotic part. I told you there was a chaotic part, hun. We've entered into chaos land. And then God said it is not good that man should be alone. Every mom of a teenage boy knows this. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to, to the man to see what he, he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a helper found fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last, is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man, and therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were unashamed. Oh, goodness, what have I done? I've read both these passages, and there's like six hours worth of stuff in here. Can somebody order some pizza? What do I say? Let's say just, let me just start here. Big picture, guys. When we think about the battle of sexes, we need to start off by remembering that there was no such thing when God made the earth. There was no such thing when God created male and female. The first time we meet male and female, we're being introduced to people as being made in the very image of God, the apex of his creation, the best of the very best. But it's not ignored that it's male and female. They're called male, the the image bearer with the male genitalia and female, the image bearer with the female genitalia. And I have to say that because those are what the Hebrew, Hebrew words mean. One's got those bits, the other one's got these bits. They're introduced to us as the ones carrying these body parts. And we're given this mission. Be my image bearers. Go and show the world what I look like. And so the first job of the human beings was go to appear to this creation and help them to see the invisible God. And that's our first mission. In the battle of the sexes, whenever, whatever way you want to think about it, we need to remember our first mission from God was to help everybody see what God is like with who we are. Whether you're a more than 30-year-old mother of four, five, one of them's not here, ah, I'm in trouble. Your mission is to answer to the question, what does somebody who's just like you, what does the life of God coming out of someone just like you look like? If you're a 15-year-old girl, you are answering the question, what does the life of the invisible God coming out of someone just like you look like? If you're a, is there any 50-year-old guys? Don't even say it. If you're a 50-year-old guy, Every minute of your life is meant to answer the question, what does the life of the invisible God coming out of a 50-year-old guy look like? And that's our whole mission, to answer the question, what does the life of God coming out of a woman like you look like? And what does the life of God coming out of a man like you look like? And what does the life of God coming together with these two different people look like? And that's what it means to be an image Right? So there's a camera right there. Anybody taking some online church during this time? Anybody? Okay. Guess what? I was never at your house. But you looked at a little lighty screen and the image of Rob was in your house. And if it did a good job, it felt like I was there. And if it did... Right? If the Wi-Fi went down or got sketchy, you're frustrated. It doesn't look like Rob, sound like Rob. I can't bear this. Welcome to the experience of the world. We're supposed to be the webcast of heaven. And when the Wi-Fi goes down by sin, it's not good. But this is our mission. Not fighting in competition answering the question, what does the invisible God look like coming out of our flesh? But the first story emphasizes the sameness 
by giving man and woman together that same title of image bearer and the same mission to go out into the world and rule over things in a great way to bring the best out of this creation that God had given, to hold dominion for good. And the second story highlights our differences by making Adam first and giving him this special command to keep and protect the garden and to be the guardian of the word of God by giving him this instruction to not eat the fruit and then to make him suffer with wife loneliness, which is the worst, the drive home when you go to Costco and I'm waiting for you to come home, it's the worst. Anybody? That's the worst part. And he God afflicts Adam with wife loneliness and makes him suffer so that he knows he needs her. And then he creates her in this wounded way where God cuts Adam open and breaks his bones. And out of his blood and his suffering, in the imitation of death by this deep sleep, he draws out of, out of Adam and makes this, this woman who is just like him and so different that sometimes he'll think she's crazy. And Adam comes out of his sleep death, wounded and broken, and sees this different person who's just like him and says, this is the best thing ever. And there's no rivalry. And there's no battle, even though in chapter 2, it's the differences being emphasized, not the sameness. And God summarizes the, just the greatness of what he was doing with man and woman in the beginning by saying, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were completely revealed, they were completely vulnerable, and they were not afraid of each other. Yeah. Did you know spouses can be married for 20 years and still be afraid of each other? How they might respond or say or what they might do? Now that's how it started and everything got messed up, but I also need to point out where we're going. Let's go to Revelations chapter 21. And along the way, like we're going to this place, this new heavens and the new earth. And one of the th things we forget is, did you know there's no human marriage in the new heavens and the new earth? Jesus told us in Luke chapter 20, verse 34 and 35, that we, nobody's going to be married to each other in the new heavens and the new earth. Like, this is it. There's not going to be any man and woman marriage. We're going to be like the angels. We're just going to be not doing that. Some people wonder what that's all going to mean for bodies. I just don't care. If you want to waste your life speculating about stuff, go ahead. But instead of people getting married to people, all the Christians are going to be married to Jesus. In Revelations it says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is us, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away, excuse me. But can you hear this echo? You've got Adam and Eve, and you've got this first marriage coming together, and they're naked, and they're not ashamed. And we have this new marriage coming where the church is going to go to Jesus, her husband, and all the badness is going to be taken away by God. Every fear is gone. All rivalry is gone. All competition is gone. All hurt is gone. All your memories of how a man or woman has hurt you is gone. It's going to be gone, and we're going to dwell with Jesus in perfect shameless peace never wondering if we're going to get hurt again that's where we're going in the meantime we have mess there was this catastrophic event where Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit And if you remember from Genesis, the first thing that happened, the snake came, he tempted them. They ate the fruit, and this was the first bad thing that ever happened. It says the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so let's just stop there for a sec. One of the reasons why I think it's important to talk about the battle of the sexes in the church is that this is the first wound that ever happened into the human race. Before there was racism, before there was war, before there was rich and poor, there was a broken relationship between man and woman. There was the first father and the first wife looking at each other and saying, I can't trust you anymore. And so I believe that this is the biggest area of spiritual warfare that people will face, and this is our most susceptible one. This is our greatest vulnerability because it came first. And I believe that this is Satan's main target in life, is to destroy our relationships between men and women and brothers and sisters and fathers and daughters and mothers and sons because this is our biggest vulnerability and our hugest pain when it goes wrong. The very first bad feelings that ever happened in creation were a man and a woman not trusting each other anymore. That's huge. And later when God is dealing out the consequences for this betrayal, verse 16, it says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Is that true? And your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And that right there is the beginning of the battle of the sexes. 
that the relationship between men and women would be about the desire to come out on top. It would be rivalry. It would be fighting. It would be evaluating positions and power and money and prestige and domination. And that would be the most fundamental relationship between the two of them or the thing that's going to keep coming back to destroy them, that they fight and they don't trust and they betray and they want to come out on top and they don't want to yield and they don't want to humble and they don't want to die for the good of the other. And this is the great spiritual warfare. Because when a man and a woman don't trust each other, we are telling a lie about Christ and his church. That's the big issue. We were made to make the world see God. And when Jackie and I fight, we are lying about Christ and Jesus. And the church, sorry. It's a huge issue. And if I were Satan, you know, some people have kind of wondered if I was on my way. But if I were Satan, I would devote most of my effort towards the battle of the sexes. Because I would look at Genesis 3 and I would say, I did that. Making men and women fight, that's mine. That distrust, that's mine. And I have a right to make every woman feel inferior and feel like she can strike back, become of it. And I have the right to make every man feel betrayed and that he can leave her because of that. And that's my territory. I made that and it's mine. And I would spend all of eternity until I get thrown into the lake of fire trying to stir up every kind of offense and every kind of betrayal and every kind of revenge and every kind of domination because I would think this is my kingdom's work. I did it in the garden and I can do it again at Calvary Chapel. Guys, I think... I have mis, mis, uh, under-evaluated the, the evil of Satan. Like, you might look at the Taliban and think, man, those guys are evil. Look what they're doing. They are not more evil than Satan. And one of the biggest differences is that the Taliban's kind of stuck on another co- continent right now, but Satan can come to your house. And what I'm trying to call us today is to get above the battle of the sexes so that we don't become soldiers in Satan's plan for division, but instead are servants of the crucified Christ for reunification. Amen? I, I failed you. This is so shallow. Would you just receive this as the beginnings of something? I just want to get you to think. I want to invite you to think more critically about your surrounding culture. If I can do anything, if I can just make you look at the history of your lives and the pains you've had and the betrayals you've had and not see it so much as a bad husband proves that all husbands are bad, but instead see yourself as somebody who has been deeply wounded by the enemy's plans to destroy the works of God in your life. That would be a small accomplishment. But what I can say is this. 
Church, let's choose humility. When it comes to the battle of sex, whatever your history is, the fact that Christians divide over things like women in leadership and what women should do and shouldn't do and men in leadership and what they should do and shouldn't do. We don't talk about that too much, but I'm sure people have opinions. Good husbanding, bad husbanding. I want to call you in the name of Jesus to choose humility. The Word of God says this, Likewise, you who, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That's not on point, but clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I actually think this is the trick to all of life. If you're humble, God will want to come and give you grace. He'll want to come and do what you can't do. He'll want to come and forgive you, not hold what you've done wrong against you. He'll want to come and lift you up and be generous and kind to you. And he says, if you're humble, I want to do this. But if we're proud, we're judgmental, we give into bitterness, we're angry, we choose the divisiveness. Well, what does God say he's going to do? It's not that he doesn't love us, and it's not like Jesus didn't die for us, but he's told us he opposes pride. So we need to choose humility. Jackie and I are learning that the best way to express that humility is long, patient listening, where you want to come out understanding the other person. Can I have a little just moment here? I have learned in the last couple of weeks I really don't understand how Jackie works, especially as a woman. Okay? I'm beginning to get, sorry if this is TMI, but this is TMI time, too much information. I'm beginning to understand that most women of mature age have like a monthly cycle, and every week of it is different. Thank you for giggling, okay? That's what I was looking for, for a little confirmation that I'm onto something here. That is not how men experience life where every single week is different. <laughs> See, we're laughing, okay? That's okay. And I'm joking that it's like, for a guy, you go from 18 to 40, things relatively the same, and then at 40, everything breaks. <laughs> and it's just like, bleh. And you know, it's never coming back. And I think that's where midlife crisis has come from. When you realize everything's gone. <laughs> you feel like you could die tomorrow. And I've never owned a motorcycle. I think that's how it works. And that's why we're so, we, we were so just like unpredictable for a little while there. And the gals are just like, you're not used to things changing all the time? What's wrong with you? I'm joking a little bit, but I'm sharing literally that it is priority number one to try to understand you. Why? I love the scripture that Jesus taught us to understand. He says, when you pray, don't go on babbling like the unbelievers that don't know God, because the Father already knows what you need before you ask. And what that teaches me about my Father is he spends all the time understanding me. So that when I come to ask him for anything, he's like, I know what you're asking for and I know you. So there's no way I'm going to end up like the Father unless I do that for you. 
I should know what you're talking about. Amen? Number two, let's choose God's word. God cares about whether or not we choose to try to land on his word when it comes to divisive issues. And I know everybody does, and that's one of the challenges. So everybody's got their case. But I would like to invite everybody afresh to ask themselves, am I really relying on God's word as much as possible in this issue? God says, all these things my hand has made. That's us and everything and all nations. And so these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will, to, to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I think our brothers and sisters value the word of God above their outside culture in Afghanistan right now, don't you? And let's choose to hope in Christ. There was a man one time, his child was dying. He came to Jesus. He was all panicked. He said to him, if you can help me, please do. And Jesus was somewhat indignant. Mark chapter 9, he says, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I'm not sure if the church in Canada even has faith for living above the divides. Like that we even believe God can help us to grow together. Have you ever thought about that? Like do you actually have faith for churches to get through hard things? I would like to choose to believe that God can do hard things. My faith's been pretty low sometimes. I've been very jaded by, by many things too often. Amen. My wife will nod her head. But I would like us to choose to hope in Christ that he could do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Okay. I would like to invite Greg and Michelle to come up. They are going to be a visual demonstration for us about men and women being different but working together. You're going to notice them worshiping Christ. You're going to notice them playing different instruments together and it's sounding better because their instruments are different. And you're going to notice them singing. I know neither of you really love being put on the spot, so we thank you for your self-sacrifice. You're going to notice them singing and their voices are going to sound different. And the song's going to sound better because of that. And I think all of us can watch the mystery of Christ and the church in action here. And I think all of us can see one couple demonstrating how things are better when we're different and together. Amen? Uh, and you're welcome to just listen to and watch. And while, while they're singing, um, if I'm right about this whole battle of the sexes thing, there are more people hurting here this morning because of what happened from opposite-sexed people in their life, whether it's a dad or a mom, or husband or a wife, or boyfriend or girlfriend, than I will ever know or understand. My prayer for this morning is that you would give your heart to Jesus for a deep healing. Jesus is a great healer. He's been dead. Okay, when we come to pray to Jesus, we've we're talking to someone who has been dead. 
Behold, he lives forever. So if you feel like you're wounded unto death in your heart or in your mind, give your heart or your mind to Jesus. He went down farther than you are. And he knows how to bring you home and to him and to heal you in your deepest parts. Amen.